it's amazing how people come into a craft brewery and want to know all the the process and how it goes and I think that's the part that excites me. Welcome to BizCast Greater Lacrosse, a weekly podcast from Biz News. We bring you news from the business community. I am your host and founder, Vicki Markison, and joining me today is Phil Humphrey. He is the owner of 608 Brewing Company, and you have been around since August of 2018. What does your start look like? Yeah, that's correct. So we've, it's been great. The city of lacrosse is been awesome so far, just supporting us and showing out. We've grown from, I don't know, I think we started with four or five part-time bartenders now to we have a staff of 17 and wow. five full-time, not counting myself. And yeah, just keep pushing a little harder and growing, growing the business. Yeah. So let's go back in time. So first of all, we should tell people where you're located. I will let you do that. I know where it is, but you will describe it better than I do. Sure. 83 Copeland Ave and Lacrosse here. Just uh, north of the Quick Trip. Yep. Just past Sloopy's. Yep. Over on the right, across from Gina's Psychic Readings. You got it. A landmark. So let's go back to the spring of 2018. And you have some partners that are saying, hey, let's open up a brewery. What did that look like? Where where did the idea come from? Well, I was home brewing for a long time before that and working in IT, like getting a little burnt out of working all the time and, and doing kind of a thankless job. So I had reached out to a few different people to see if they were invest, uh, wanted, willing to invest or wanted to invest in a brewery because I need a decent amount of startup capital just to get it going. And I think I had originally talked to them for maybe like being a smaller investor and they wanted to take on that whole like minority share. And we went with it, rolled and just started going there. It happened fast. We, by the time we got a building and then got the money from the bank, we were open in about six months, which the licensing through the federal government, the state's usually not a problem. The federal government's usually not that fast. And we actually had like a one month issue too with the electrician. We probably could have been open in five months, which is an insane timeline considering what we were doing. Nowadays, a lot of breweries are taking over a year to open. So, What do you think made that so quick? It was the federal government piece? Is that what the leg that's uh, happening for others now? We pretty much did everything we could to help on this build out that didn't require a, a certified or licensed person. So every weekend we'd be there for 30 hours. If it was demoing or pulling stuff out or getting things set up for the Monday, trying to keep the contractors basically on a tight timeline because we started with no capital. We had no money coming in from any kind of business. So the longer it took to get open, the more it stressed us personally and financially. So getting it going as fast as possible was definitely in our best interest. Yeah, that's the piece that people forget about is so you're paying rent, you're paying the contractors, and granted, you do have the loan from the bank, but the sooner you can start money coming in, the better. So talk about, I mean, it's thought out. You didn't just decide to brew beer. You have taproom, is that what you call it, next to it? Yep. Yeah, we have a taproom and a brewery. I guess I, I'll go back to one thing, too. Yeah, go did, ahead. Which we did use. We used the, we reached out to the Small Business Development Center at SBC. UW Lacrosse. Yeah. And they were great. They took the existing business plan I had built, made it a little prettier. And they had access to databases for information that most people wouldn't have. And that was huge. So it made going to the bank 
a lot easier when we walked in and we had all the information they were looking for up to five-year projections on the business, even though we had never operated. <laughs> Those numbers weren't quite right. We actually did way better than that, which is great. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that that was, they, we I went in there, had the plan. They took what I had already done because I'd already sung, I already had like a 200 page business plan with all kinds of stuff done and consolidated that down to about 80 or 90 pages. <laughs> Most of it financial projections because that's what banks, banks, banks care about. Mm-hmm. Did that. And then, yeah, the goal, the whole goal from the start was where we were going to be a high quality brewery using high quality ingredients. And the focus would be tap room, not trying to go too big. Uh, just can try to give someone, give people lacrosse another craft option. We were talking before I hit record here about really the uniqueness of your product and and that it's it uses real ingredients. Can you explain that? Yeah, really normal beer is going to use all real ingredients too, like the malt, the yeast, the hops, and water. But we do, if we're doing, because we do some crazy things that a lot of breweries frown upon or don't do. But if we're going to use coconut, we'll use real coconut. If we're going to use, if we're making a sour that's like strawberries, raspberries, and vanilla, like we're using real vanilla, we're using real strawberries, we're using real raspberries. So the it does drive the cost of the product up a little, a lot actually compared to using extracts, but I just feel like with real products, you're going to get a good product at the end. Like you can't, it's hard to overdo when you use the real thing. Extracts, you can definitely overdo. And once you overdo an extract, there's no going back on that bad flavor. Yes. Are you the main creator of so what's produced? I was the, I was doing all the brewing for probably three and a half years, three years. I did. Uh, I brought on an assistant brewer, and then now we actually have two full-time brewers. I still am creating the recipes and all that stuff, but they're the ones executing it, and it's been going well. Like I, you always get a little nervous because, like, when you're making something, you know what you're doing, and obviously, as the owner, you're going to care about it a lot more. But I'd say both my both the brewers we have, they care about the product a lot, and I haven't seen really any drop off in the flavor or like processes or anything. So it made me feel really good to know that. We could bring some people in. They're still able to execute at a high level and it's hitting the standard that we want to hit. Every time that I've gone in there, there's obviously new products. How much trial and error goes in even before you produce it to producing it and seeing how people respond? Yeah, we're like a go live type trial. We don't really do a lot of testing ahead of time. (laughs) It's just, uh, this is probably one thing that probably irritates my brewers because sometimes we'll just like, I'll just like pull an audible on something and be like, Hey, we're going to do this. And there's no real game plan. It's just going in. It does help that we've done enough of like certain styles of beer that I kind of know, like a certain amount of, of a product won't mess it up, but there's definitely a lot of fly by the seat of our pants with some of this stuff. We've gotten a little better about not maybe being so wild with the changing the game plan just due to we are starting to get into some of the grocery stores around here and you're, it's a different customer you're attacking when you go into the grocery store. It's more of the person that's like, hey, I like to drink this, so I just buy this. So if it's constantly different, they're not going to want to keep buying it. Where our tap room is like people a lot coming in there. They want it. They want all the new stuff. They want to try everything else because that's what they're there for. They're not there to drink the same beer over and over again. So you launch in 2018. What's mm. the, what is the public response over time? The opening day was ridiculous. Like, I, I don't know, I've been to some other businesses in the area that open, and I, I didn't think, like, it was ever, like, overly crazy, especially for, like, a product 
I guess I would assume that you get that response with a restaurant. We had no food. We have food trucks, but we had no food. And I, if I remember right, it was, I don't think we opened till that Friday night and it was a line down the street. It was like 40 minute wait just to get a beer. The place was wall to wall people. It, it, I, I, I thought I was going to have a nice relaxing, get to walk around and talk to people and meet people. And I think I just did dishes for three hours straight. It was uh, overwhelming and it was great. The support's always been great. And I appreciate that a lot. So you opened in August of 2018. So you had some feet underneath you as the pandemic hit. What happened during the pandemic? The whole, it's funny you say that, right? Because we never had, I don't feel like we had a normal, I still don't even know if we had a no, know what a normal year is. Maybe this year is the normal year because we've gotten out of that. But like you open, you're busy because you're new. And you kind of like, like rides through the waves because the beer or drinking business is an up and down thing that goes in waves. And it was like solidly busy. And then we got our first full summer. That was good. And then we rolled into the pandemic. And like, actually, right before the pandemic, we were like, everything was going like all time best. It could have been. And then you had to shut down. I think it was like six weeks or something, which wasn't that long compared to some places. Yeah. And then we had to go. We basically went to a to go only. That was good, though, for us. From a financial side of things, a revenue side of things, we didn't lay anybody off, which was nice. Luckily, we didn't have as big of a staff as we do now, but we were able to keep everyone employed. And we were moving probably just as much product, if not more, on a weekly basis because you were allowed to do the pre-orders online so people could just show up and grab whatever. I also got lucky I bought a canning line before covid Yeah, I, I was getting sick of doing crawlers. I don't know if you crawlers, like yes. 32 ounce yeah. cans. Um so those ones you have to fill off the draft. I was getting sick of doing, like spending an hour and a half, two hours every day doing those. And I'm like, you know what? I, I went at the time, went to my partners and like, I think we just need to buy a canning line. It's just going to make more sense. We were only canning beers we thought were going to be popular, like versus everything. Mm -hmm. COVID hit. All of a sudden, everybody gets pushed into this new realm of trying to operate a business. And you have to have a way to, if you can't have people sitting in your tap room, Having a beverage, you have, how do you move volume? How do you move your product then? Luckily, we had that. That allowed us to basically shift everything into cans, which to this day, we still, every single beer that comes out, we can, at least a little bit of it. So it is nice. It was just a culture shock a little bit there from the business side of things. Like, how do you operate this? How do you do this? <laughs> and, yeah. And like, how do you proceed and not overextend yourself financially? Because that was the, the unknown is who knows how the economy is going to do and bounce back. And you saw, I'm sure you're well aware of some of the large microbreweries that folded, particularly several in Madison. And so are you watching these going, how are we surviving and they're not? I think there's, this is purely my opinion, but I think there's like a size of brewery that's not good to be in the current market. And, I, and, and that's that regional microbrewery because you've got to a size where you're not necessarily like you're still local, but like you definitely have a, a, a very big reach geographically. Um, and like when you get too big, there's certain customers that will just I don't want to go there anymore because it's now it's not the cool thing. It's not it's not they're not really committed to the local economy as much there. And, and that's like the 15 to 25,000 barrel breweries that you can I can go to any grocery store in the state or in Minnesota or in Iowa or Illinois. And I'm going to find their beer on the shelf. I think that's not a size I want to be, even if we, as we continue to grow for us, like we, we're like living around like 700 barrels a year. So not even close to 
what those guys are doing. So it's, there's still a little bit of a novelty to our product, at least if you, like we'll do the occasional drop in like Madison or Milwaukee, but it's very small. And if you're not one of like 20 people to come through that store that day, you probably don't get it. Um, so like, we're still trying to keep the focus on the tap room. Like we're not sending out our super limited stuff to the market. We're trying to keep it in house. Cause like, you know, unfortunately our, you know, cost to operate every month is extremely high, you know, compared to what our actual revenue stream is. Um, we don't have that. We're like, we have the infrastructure set, but we need to like, the only way we can, you know, take advantage of that is having a bigger setup, which right now we're, we're not in that situation currently. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I would do it any different way though. I, I just like being the size we are and, you know, maybe we get a little bit bigger, but I don't want to ever lose that hometown feel. Yeah. Whether you're a seasoned chef or just starting your culinary journey, Cooley Region Cooks is your new podcast resource. Discover new techniques, hear from local culinary heroes who are mastering the art of the kitchen. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 on WIZM. Stream your favorite cooking tips, local chef interviews, and mouth-watering recipes on the WIZM app. Or find us on your favorite podcast platform. Stay updated and engaged by following us on Facebook. Just search Cooley Region Cooks today. Hi, I'm Ken Cooper, host of the podcast Around River City. I've got an invitation for you to listen in to my conversations with the people that make it so cool to live in and around River City. Subscribe at aroundrivercity.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. And you were talking to, again, before we hit record on loyalty and people's loyalty to particularly small brands. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I think people like choosing a team. Nobody ever says they love everything. There's always, they always have a favorite or something they're in for. I'd like to think that locally, like the craft beer scene is pretty open to everything, but there's definitely people that like, I'm not going to drink their beer. I don't like those people, even though they've never met us or barely, or they tried it once. That's the hardest part right there is you try it once. Like we've had people that left a bad review on us like three months after we opened and probably never came back. We were just getting started. I, I still go back to places, even if I had a bad experience, you get three or four in a row, maybe that's a bad, that's a bad right. choice. Well, it's, and you really can't please everyone. You really can't please anyone. Everyone's got something to complain about. But I feel like the local, at the end of the day, they're loyal to what they like, but they're also going to still be loyal to this area. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, there's like levels of loyalty off that. And so all in all, like, I feel like we've all had great support and, and, we get along all the, all the breweries, like on the back end, the sides, they all, we all get along. Like we're, there's, we're, I don't see any of them as competition. They don't see, I don't think they see me as competition. We're just like, we're all friends here trying to do the same thing and trying to get more people excited about craft beer in general. Yeah. The other thing that you had touched on as well is just the growing competition from areas that I wouldn't have expected. Can you talk about that? Sure. Yeah. So it's basically... The the choices you have now, if you want to have a drink, you're not, it's not just like people are branching out into the THC beverages, the wine or the, the canned cocktails, the canned wines is more portable things, I feel like. But there's so many new avenues of alcoholic beverages out there these days. So you're, and it's hard to compete with price points too sometimes because I think Sunny Delight came out with a hard seltzer or whatever, or like a or, or vodka drink or something. They co-branded with somebody, but people know Sunny Delight because it's like the orange juice you had when you were a kid or something. And then like they see it on the shelf and the price points, they're produced in such a mass volume. It's hard to 
sell a $8 four pack, that's $8 four pack of like 10% alcohol versus we can't even get something. We can't produce anything that low. Just a constantly evolving market. And you have to like, you have to almost either be, you're either happy with what you currently have, or if you're starting to see downward trends, like you have to evolve. And I think that's something that we do a lot at 608. Like we started going into the hemp derived THC beverages, and that's filled a little bit of void. I've actually seen some customers I haven't seen in years because they had to quit drinking. So that was awesome. Another loyalty thing. Mm -hmm. They came back when there was a product they could have from us. And then the thing we're like exploring right now that we're going to probably release our first one in the next couple of weeks was, is going to be like a hop water, just trying to come up with some alternative beverages. Cause I, as much as I don't like dry January, there's a lot of people that like to do that, which hurts our business a lot. So if I can have other alternatives that they can do, that's non-alcoholic, that's going to be great for us, I think. Yeah. So let's talk as well about what's new. So when did you buy out the investors and what was your motivation for doing that? So yeah, our it's actually been almost a little, like about exactly a year now since we bought out our partners. There was just a lot of creative and financial differences of opinions on that. <laughs> like probably what everyone was telling me beforehand, if you don't have to have partners, don't have partners. Mm-hmm. And then, I'm sure there's some situations that work out great, but I'm guessing more often than not, they weren't. So like I actually had some friends that wanted to be investors initially and I said no. So I was like, I don't want to ruin a friendship. Smart. And they still like to this day, oh, I should have been invested. I don't think we'd be friends like you'd think we would because I, I have no ill will towards my old partners. Like they're very nice people. And obviously I wouldn't have tried to go into business with them if I didn't like them. But we were successful early on because I was doing four different jobs and working all the time. And it was taking a strain on my wife and my kids and myself. And then as we, once we actually started bringing on people and like, Salary is always going to be your biggest expense. So mm-hmm. that's, once you started doing that, it like cuts into that revenue of profits. And as profits weren't as maybe as good as they could have been, some people get, they, they change a little. They react differently that you never saw before. They're also, I wanted to grow and, you know, get a little bit bigger and obviously do a second tap room type deal. And they were not into that. And, you know, unfortunately, I just tried to I just rip the bandaid off and, and to figure out how to make it, how to get it done. And now we did. And now we have now 100% ownership. So if I sink the business, it's on me now. Yeah. <laughs> but if it succeeds, it's, on, it's the gamble I was willing to take. Yeah. And so you're just about to open a location in Holman. Talk about that. Yeah, that's hopefully here. I'm hoping before the end of the year, I'm just dealing with construction setbacks and equipment issues. It seems like when you really want something to happen, everything can go wrong. Seems like it's going wrong, even though it's probably been going pretty smooth. It's just the timelines of getting certain things in there and all that stuff. But yeah, uh, it's going to be a really nice spot. Uh, we have two floors. We actually, we have a, the, the, the downstairs is, is going to have a little kitchen in it too. So we'll have some food. It's going to be more um, like shareable plate type stuff. It's not, we're not trying to like be a restaurant. We're still like the focus is still on our beer, but you know, just have some like flatbreads and like charcuterie boards and the pretzel and like th- the easy things um, to keep people there a little hungry. But we also have two patios. So there's going to be an, a rooftop patio, not a huge one, but 20-ish people probably can be on there. And then this, we have a side patio. And then what most people probably like if they've been to our current spot is there's actually going to be like a 40 car parking lot behind it. Nice. <laughs> so, nice. So somewhere to park. Yeah. Um, 
And explain where the location is. Oh, yeah, sorry. It's uh, 103 Main Street in Holman. So it's right off the corner of uh, it's County D meets Main Street, essentially. Mm-hmm. Next is where the old public library used to be before they built their new one. And right next to like T. Joe's and Moxie's Salon. And then all the other things we will have an upstairs, too. So we actually have a private event space, too, which will be nice because that we've lost so much revenue on not being able to have. Like people want, I want to close your tap room on a Saturday. I'm like, that's not going to happen because we don't have private event space and it's our busiest day. Yeah. And if you throw the number out there that it would take to close it, people don't like that number. Nope. <laughs> but you got to keep your revenue coming in. Yep, so, yep. yeah, I get it. So what's interesting is, so you have a lot of us learned growing up about the three tier system and you have basically you are you're distributing, you're producing and you're selling, correct? You're doing all three of the tiers. How is that possible? So because we're under 300,000 barrels a year in Wisconsin, like we are able to self-distribute. And then with our brewer's license, we can sell direct to consumer through our tap rooms. We can't really go anywhere else and just sell direct to you. Like I couldn't just pop up in the parking lot and start selling to you. Like that would definitely be illegal. Before we had the second tap room, that license could be utilized as a temporary off-premise site, which we've used a couple of times where we did some pop-up shops in Madison. You have to go through the process of essentially submitting the paperwork like you're opening another location. They will come through and approve it. It's actually a very short form. So. Oh, good. I, I <laughs> no, gave you a look like that like, sounds terrible. It, it, it's, yeah. like, it's like a one-page form. Yeah. But, but yeah, you would submit that and then you have to give them like a map. And as long as there was, as long as it was not on a parcel of land that had a liquor license tied to it or another bonded like brewery, distillery, winery on it, you could, if they approved it, you could literally be in that spot and then have it, which you could do up for up to two weeks. Really cool thing. But now by us opening the second tap room, like we lose that ability. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That was a decision, wasn't it? It wasn't too bad. We didn't utilize that other piece as much as I wanted to. I originally had a plan of building a trailer with the tappers on it and then trying to do events at random parks throughout the state. To him, it was going to be a lot more work than it was worth. And I was probably going <laughs> to have to hire somebody just to basically do that. Uh, it, it was going to be, I mean, it probably would have been nice to, hey, pop up Six Way Brewery at, in Eau Claire. I mean, or Wausau, but yeah, we... This is going to be the easier choice. I just felt like uh, for me, Holman, like tons of people are like, it's a booming area right now. And there's uh, still like a very few options for food and drink in that town. So if I can get in ahead of a lot of other people, that's going to be good for us. And I live there. So that <laughs> convenient. Yes. Yeah. And there's a lot of land available. So there's lots of growth coming as well. So hi, I'm Ken Cooper, host of the podcast Around River City. I've got an invitation for you to listen in to my conversations with the people that make it so cool to live in and around River City. Subscribe at AroundRiverCity.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're doing this interview literally, is it just the day after the law got proposed because it's going before the governor for that essentially addresses wedding barns and alcohol. So can you, from your last understanding of the bill, can you talk about where you see it impacting? Yeah. So I think the, this this is a weird one because like it actually, normally if the Tavern League supports something, it's probably pretty anti-breweries, anti-manufacturers almost, which is such a weird thing to me considering all their products got to be made somewhere, right? Um, But they, their vendetta, I think, was against the wedding barns, just making sure they were licensed properly. 
Um, and I want to say now, uh, if the, with the changes, essentially they get, they can do X amount of events per year before they have to pay this like license fee to do our permit for each one. Um, so the complaint from their side, I want to say is that if it's a barn that's doing weddings Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every week, and they have to pay a $500 permit per time, that's 2000 bucks for that weekend to run those four events. I don't know. I'm assuming most of that would just be passed to the consumer. So I don't know that it's, I, th- I think it's probably not as bad as it's been made out to be, but I also, there might be some other things I'm just not fully under, I don't know on that side because I didn't really focus on reading that part of the bill. Yep. Um, for breweries and wineries and distilleries now, it like loosens some of the three tier stuff. I think it allows some people that might own in, if you own in one tier, like technically you're not supposed to be able to own in another. So if you're a retailer, you're not supposed to have a wholesaler. If you're a wholesaler, you're not supposed to have a brewery. Um, I think it gives you the ability to have up to a certain percentage of ownership in a different tier. That's still a very minority stake. Um, I think the last I had read was like 10%, but don't quote me on that. Mm-hmm. I don't you know what's going on with that. So that's a, a big deal in a way, because I know a couple of people that owned bars and then opened breweries. And then yeah, it's like you didn't do the research because it all ties back to tied houses like all the big boys used to do back in the 80, 90 years ago, mm-hmm. buy all the bars up and serve only their product. Which, mm-hmm. So that'll change. It does add the ability for breweries to have more tap rooms with the same production space. I think it's up to, you can get up to four tap rooms if you're one brewery. That's nice to not have to build a production space for each place. Mm-hmm. There's something else. Collaboration. I wrote down oh, collaboration. Yeah. So like it does open up some other things that I don't think will be controversial, but I'm also for this change, but it's basically allowing, it'll allow breweries to have uh, full liquor license capabilities. So right now I can't serve out-of-state breweries products. I can't serve wine. I can't serve like a bourbon or vodka gin type stuff and cocktails. Unless you're a brew pub, those guys could do it, but they actually had to get approved liquor license from the city they're in. This basically allows all breweries to be able to do it in the state, essentially. And the... I'm not even looking at that from the perspective of, hey, I want to be a, a ba- full bar because I, I don't really want to deal with that headache. It's really just like having options for people that come in with a family or a group of people that don't necessarily drink beer, but hey, maybe we have a, a wine they can drink or like a cocktail or something like that. And then the bigger thing for us is 608, we do a lot of collaborations with out-of-state breweries and other type establishments and we could never do an event like hey if they came in from nashville to come brew with us we couldn't even put their beer on to show them off a little bit so this will give us the ability to basically do that collaboration brew and if you've never heard of that brewery or never had their products we can do like a tap takeover like event while they're there so you can come in you can meet some of the brewers you can try their product uh, and see why we were excited to collab with them type deal versus like just taking our word for it that's probably the thing that I'm most looking forward to just because it like gives us, it's a, it's an, it makes an event for us and it gets people that are really into craft beer to come in for that too. Yeah. Where do you see 608 Brewing Company in five or 10 years? Where do you hope it is? I'm hoping with the opening of the second tap room that we can get financially to a spot where we can do an expansion. Our brew space right now is very tight. We don't have space to expand beyond where we're at. So like in the next year, we're pretty much maxing out our capacity there. We're still running on some equipment too that you can tell it's showing its age already, which when you start a business, at least for us, like we didn't have a lot of money. So we were getting Cadillacs. So we were getting clunkers and making it work. And we're still rolling with a lot of that equipment. 
And just basically, if we can grow, build a bigger production facility. My dream is to do the bigger production facility with a restaurant. It's a private event space and like a concert venue type thing. And if I have enough land, maybe even a little dog park, make it like a destination. So you know, people are willing to drive a little bit and I can go hang out there all day. Like we're always been family friendly. So, uh, you know, just bring the family, hang out for a few hours, get a bite to eat, try some new products, maybe see a band. Like uh, it's like a, a, a whole day event type deal. And, um, you know, from there, expand into some other markets in the state so we can share beer. Cause then there's a lot of people that travel here and try it and they like it. And they're like, can I get in? Not unless you come here. <laughs> Cause we're not, we don't really have a huge footprint. Um, but really just the other thing too, I guess with, the, with, with an expansion like that would be getting better equipments from a um, process uh, side of things. Like there's so many things that I know, like, I feel like we make very good product as it is, but there's so many things, there's other like things out there that can make our products even better. And it's, it just comes with money. It's, it's darn it. Yeah. (laughs) It's like going from that homebrew system to a professional system. Like you might not, you might make really good homebrew, but if you can take that skill set and apply it to the new system, like your product's going to be better by default. It's like the equipment does matter, but yeah, like we're hoping to, we're right now, like I said, we live around 700 barrels a year. Like the next five years, like I, I want to be in that 2,500 barrels to like 4,000 barrel range. I feel mm-hmm. like it's uh, big enough that we can get some beer out in the state. We can still do a lot of fun things that we can keep at the tap rooms and be able to do more events and stuff. We Unfortunately, we turn people down all the time that want us to do something because we just don't have the beer for it. And You don't have enough beer for it. Correct. Yeah. Interesting. Because like you're always like trying to, like even the distribution game, like this is like relatively new to us this year. Certain bars are do really well with our product and move a lot of it. And then other bars don't. And it, it's the sad part is if we have to draw, if we have to pull back the bar that's been moving a lot of your product, if you pull out of there, they're probably not going to give you another chance. They're going to be mad at you. Whereas the bar that's barely moving it, they're probably like, eh, whatever, let's move on. Yeah. So just like things like that, like just making sure we have enough product allocated for certain people that we're friends with. They've done well for us. They've helped us a lot. I have the feeling you're going to have some interesting self-conversation, if it will, with, okay, for us to be consistently on more taps and in grocery stores, we're going to have to start to create more consistent products. And then you're going to be balancing, okay, do we do consistency? Mm -hmm. But really what you love is the variety. And so how do you see yourself balancing that? I think... Like in the plan is like, all right, figure out what our tap room needs. What is our usage? Because surprisingly enough, that number, like you figure out what it is, it just lives there. Because you can only do so much volume through a tap room in a day on a consistent base. Like it, that does kind of average out. And that the nice thing with that is you got all the reporting. So you can just look back and see what's selling. So it's like, all right, we know we need to keep these brands on. Or if there's a certain style that's doing well, you can work it in. But like, we've already, yeah, we've already started to battle with that a little bit because... You know, like Citronado is our flagship IPA. It's really, we only really have like three or four beers we do regularly. And we brew that beer like every other week right now. This is where like a bigger system would be nice because maybe you could get away with brewing it once every three weeks or every four weeks. And then, but yeah, right now when you take up 10% of your tanks going to one, one beer now, and then there's probably another 
two tanks that are going to the other one. So like you're already taking 30% of your brew house space and it's going to these, your core brands. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming when, as you grow, like it's probably going to become like 50%, but I will, I don't think I'll ever stop. I would rather just not have that beer available to do some fun stuff too. Cause we're not, we're not a, we're not a, we're not a budget brand. Like we're not that cheap tap at, at most bars. So they're not going to be mad if, Oh, you're out of Miller Lite. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like Miller Lite will never run out because it doesn't cost anything to produce and they just make tons of it. But I don't know. I, I in my heart, I say we're still going to we're still going to have fun with it. Yep. What makes you passionate about what you do? I, I just love first off, I love craft beer. I love making beer. I love the whole, the back end sciencey side of it. It's like the more fun stuff for me. I like talking about it. I just want, I like it when a person comes in, doesn't know anything. And then you get in a conversation with them and you can see their gears moving a little bit. Mm-hmm. They're actually, they're actually listening to what you say. It's, I don't know, craft beer is weird like that. I don't feel like I ever go into a, like a random store of some type and, just want to know the breakdown of how something works, but it's amazing how people come into a craft brewery and want to know all the the process and how it goes. And I think that's the part that excites me is just like making a product and then actually seeing people like enjoy the product. Mm-hmm. It just it didn't even click with me for a long time because I felt like I was just working so hard, like all the time doing things. And I was like, like oh, we've built a a very good following like it's humbling to see like people that come in and they're like oh man i love this beer and i, I drove I, I drove an hour of my way here because i was going to some place for a meeting but i drove an hour of my way and then they buy two cases of beer and walk out it's like, to derail your day an hour or two hours out of your way that, that that definitely makes me feel like we're doing something good we have good people there and that, that's the stuff that, that excites me yeah you created an experience they want to take back home with them so yeah owner of 608 Brewing Company. You have been listening to BizCast Greater Lacrosse. We'll catch you next week. Hi, I'm Ken Cooper, host of the podcast Around River City. I've got an invitation for you to listen in to my conversations with the people that make it so cool to live in and around River City. Subscribe at aroundrivercity.com or anywhere you get your podcasts.